Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. As we head into another new year, we wonder what lies ahead in the coming months. We're curious, we say, about what will happen in November elections, what's in store for us, in new TV shows, movies, the outcomes of our favorite sports teams, what events will unfold in our lives, both expected and unexpected. But curiosity is much more than simply striving to acquire information about things we'd like to know. In today's episode, Perry Zern, a professor of philosophy, will talk about Curious Minds, the book he co-authored with identical twin Tanny Bassett, a professor of bioengineering. The book presents a compelling thesis that curiosity is fundamentally a practice of making connections. Relational curiosity connects ideas to networks of knowledge, and it connects the knowers themselves, both to the knowledge they seek and to each other. The two professors and co-authors spell out three main types of curiosity, which they call the butterfly, the hunter, and the dancer. They'll talk about this and what neuroscientists think is happening in the brain when people are curious, and they'll describe the debate among educators as to how curiosity is related to learning. So now, are you curious to hear more? Let's meet Perry Zern. Welcome, Perry, to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to tell you right up front that um, I'm excited about this topic. You know, curiosity has always compelled me. Um, a few months ago, I was uh, having a conversation with um, someone in a networking group, and, and this person was asking me uh, a bunch of questions about myself. Um, better to connect with me and find out how he could, you know, work with me and benefit me and how I could benefit him. And he said to me, um, well, what would you, if I asked you to describe yourself in one word, what would you say? And I thought, not too long. I just said, curious. And and I was actually sort of surprised that I said that. I wasn't thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But it just popped out. So I realized, okay, this is an important notion for me about you know how I look at life. So I'm really happy to have you on the show. And uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is, is how did you and your uh, co-author um, uh, really come up with this topic and, and, and work it through? Yeah, it's such a great question, and I'm excited to hear that you uh, share kind of a, um, a heart for curiosity. I was um, I started working on curiosity when I was uh, earning my PhD, so when I was in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought, you know, this there's this it's this word that everyone sort of throws around a lot. I think if you if you see it on the news, you know, if you see it in educational spaces, if you look at kind of how businesses and technology sectors are trying to describe what they want from uh, employees or the future of an organization, curiosity keeps coming to the fore. So the word is everywhere, but I, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't clear to me that we really know what we're talking about when we use it, you know, like, like right. we instantly kind of, it rings a bell, it resonates in our hearts, but like, what do we really mean by it? And, you know, as a philosopher who likes to think about what do we really mean by <laughs> whatever right. the thing is, um, I just, you know, it was just a perfect topic for me. So yeah. I, I had worked on, I had thought about curiosity for a number of years and written my first book on it before I started talking to Danny, mm-hmm. um, uh, who is my co-author for Curious Minds, my second book on curiosity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
Danny and I got to talking and maybe, you know, you'd like to follow up first, but just to say, you know, oh. they were working on neuroscience, you know, they're a professor of neuroscience. And uh, I just thought, you know, given their expertise in the brain, if we could pair sort of my expertise in, in the theory or the philosophy of curiosity and then the neuroscience of curiosity, that would be really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so when did you uh, two decide to do this, actually? And when, when did it come together? Gosh, it must have been maybe 2016. I don't know. I mean, oh, okay. you know rough, roughly almost a decade ago, wow. we started talking about it. Um, and as anyone who writes books knows, they, they can take a while, you know, especially when you take two people as we were in really, really different fields. Um, with really with really different expertise, you have to develop with co-authoring. You have to develop a, a language that you share. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it took us a while. We did it. We published a number of articles together. I think we're up to almost thirty now. Uh, so we we published essays and articles together, and did some studies together, and then kind of started to conceptualize what a book on this topic would look like. Yeah, and even though you're identical twins, it's still not that easy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, some things identical twinning <laughs> makes some things easier, and you know, but some some things are still a mystery, right? I mean, we use really different tools in our different fields. We have different investments and interests in curiosity, even itself. I mean, but I do think that we share. Um, I think we're both super curious people, kind of like you described or understood yourself, and so. We both wanted to know, like, what is the best way to talk about that? What is the best way to encourage that and facilitate that? Um, even in our classrooms and in our work and our collaborations, like you were talking about, you know, meeting somebody new or friendship or networking. Like, how can we how can we have relationships that are driven by a kind of curiosity that we can really get behind? You know? Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about your, your three types Um uh, but even before we get to that, um, I do find it interesting that, you know, that, and I guess one of the types uh, talks to this specifically about sort of um, curiosity as hunting, you know, for information. Uh, and I think for me, what uh, I found compelling was just your connecting, connecting it to a sort of a relationship um, um, process. So talk a little bit about how you, how you guys uh, discovered that, you know, that, that it was about relationships as much as anything. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the way that most people today talk about curiosity, I think, is to assume it's some kind of kind of uh, like a light bulb that each of us carries inside of us. And that it lights up when we meet some kind of fact or experience that excites us or interests us. Um, but that's a, a really individual narrative about curiosity. It's very mm -hmm. individualistic. And when we thought about... Um, what curiosity really does is it's not just that I get excited about something, but that I get kind of pulled out of myself and start to relate to new ideas or new experiences or new facts. I start to relate to people in different ways, depending on how my curiosity is uh, being explored in my life or not explored in my life. And so when we think about we have to think about curiosity as a moment in a knowledge journey. And knowledge journeys are social. They're relational. We don't do those things on our own. We don't come to know things on our own. It's really, it's, you know, even when we Google something on our phones, right? Um, all of those Google algorithms are socially constructed. So the thing that we find, we find because we're part of a network of other people. 
Um, right. And that that element of the relational character of curiosity, I think, was really missing in in how we talked about curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you're talking, I was thinking back, way back to when I was um, in elementary school, actually, and um, uh, I, I remember we, we had to do an essay, and the essay was um, to write about what you would like to uh, be for a day, who, who you'd like to be for a day. And a lot of my classmates uh, said, well, I think, you know, President of the United States or some famous figure. And so when I told my mother what I had chose, she was like, what? So I chose an otter. <laughs> I, I wanted to be an otter for the day, you know. And as I think back to it, it was this, I was curious about what that would be like, but 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 from almost a relation, my relationship to nature, you know, what was... What would that be? How would that be different? You know, as a human, what would it be different as an animal? What would I do? What would I, you know, how would I act? So, you know, even that was, um, I, I think you're right. It was relational experience. Mm -hmm. It was knowledge based on, you know, what, what that involved. I had some awareness of that, but it was, it was, you know, my relationship to something, uh, to knowledge in, you know, with respect in a greater context. So I think that's it's a really uh, neat way to look at it. I like that. Um, so Yeah, I mean, I, I I resonate with what you're sharing because I think what jumped to mind for me was chipmunks. Like, <laughs> I would like to be a chipmunk for a day. And I know, and be, because you, you had said, you know, when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. When I was a kid, um, we had a family of chipmunks that lived under our, our front steps. And I remember just being endlessly fascinated with them, why they would come out of the steps and where they would go and when they would come back and what they would be carrying. And um, I just, yeah, I wanted to, I also wanted to see under the steps, which I couldn't, I was not, I was not small enough, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, yeah, you, you guys, you grew up um, in the, in the country. Is that right? And sort of a. We did. A, we did. Yeah. Very yeah. rural area. Yeah. 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 So that, that leaves a lot of exploration that, you know, people don't realize it's it's great that's great yeah yeah i loved it yeah so let's talk about um, a little bit more specifically about you know your, the three um three sort of silos that you've sort of identified yeah so this work came out of you know i think a lot of again talking about stereotypes of curiosity i think a lot of us inherit this idea that curiosity looks one way it looks like someone who asks a lot of questions, who um, can hold eye contact, speaks easily, um, kind of is always ready to investigate in whatever way they best they best can. Um, but I think that that sim singular stereotype doesn't really help us understand how different, perhaps, each of our expressions of and experiences of and practices of curiosity really are. And so one of the things that I was doing was I was going back through descriptions of curiosity across um, Western intellectual history. Hmm. So I was, it was really a, a historical endeavor. I just said, you know, like how have people described curiosity, not defined it, but described it? What does it look like when we're doing it? And the more I read and the more I looked and the more I thought, um, the more I saw, you know, there's these really there's these three kind of types of curious people across, again, Western history over the last 2000 years or so. And one is the butterfly, someone who likes to jump from topic to topic to topic and is interested in all kinds of things and kind of anything at once. This is this can be the sort of jack of all trades person. Um, and and 
you know, they're eminently curious, but that's not the only way to be curious. The second type is the hunter. And the hunter is far more focused, has very few things, maybe even just one thing that they're really curious about, but they want to know everything about that one thing, right? Or those few things, very focused, very meticulous, very careful, very different sort of curiosity than the butterfly. And then the third um, type or style is the dancer. And the dancer is someone who really likes to be creative when they're curious. They don't just want to gather information from anywhere that other people offer. They don't just want to um, very, very carefully create some kind of um, tight network of knowledge about one particular thing. They want to make ideas happen. They want to create ideas, and they're typically very artistic in their use of curiosity. So the butterfly and the hunter and the dancer, these are three styles that have historically um, you know, been really validated across across time. And that that's interesting for us, you know, to to reflect on which one are we and what what does each one how does each one benefit us and those sorts of questions. Yeah, and I think that you you mentioned and I was reading uh, about these three that that also there's a, we tend to say well which one am I? And you point out well you're not necessarily one. You may have certain tendencies and it may change even from endeavor to endeavor. So I think that's. You know, because I think we we tend to do this. You know, if you take a Myers Briggs test, you're like, okay, what am I? What letter am I? You know, that's sort of so forth. And, and it's like, well, that depends. <laughs> and I think it does. that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even for myself, I think I um, I'm much more focused in the mornings. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and I'm and I and I do my building really well in the mornings as a hunter. Um, and then I often need some kind of creative movement i need to feel like i've you know done something unexpected after i'm done my with my building my hunterly curiosity um and then as as the end as the day the end of the day comes around i'm much more willing to read from bits and pieces of a book um and be more of a butterfly i i have less you know again less focusing power but more kind of a broader openness to what might be interesting today or tonight so just in a day right i think i i move from between the three yeah I think that happened to me a lot when, um, you know, working on articles or books, you know, where you, you, there are different phases of the writing where you're, okay, uh, I, I better hunt for this, what's relevant to this chapter. But then in the course of, you know, reading about this or that, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that talks and other ideas. I'm like, well, let me find out about that, you know. And you yeah. go on these zigs and zags, which are actually quite productive and lead you in areas you didn't expect, you know. And um, so that's yeah, I, I, and I think it's important to to leave room for the for changes in in your curiosity style. I agree. Yeah. So I never I, I I never want folks to think yeah I'm only one of these right. And we also we we're pretty clear we don't think that these are the only three right. This is three to start with. Right. But surely there are other sort of styles. And so as people kind of reflect on their own practice of curiosity, you know, they can come up with a different one. Yeah. What what are some of the substyles that you you identified? Well, um, we jumped straight to creatures. So you know the, oh. the the um the butterfly and the hunter and the dancer. These these three styles were developed from literature about humans. Uh, but what we one of the things we wanted to do was shift over to literature about animals and what we mm. know about animals and and how might they express their curiosity or model kinds of curiosity for us that that we might mimic, or maybe we already do mimic. mimic. Um, 
Yeah. And then, and then it becomes, you know, that, that just opens the book <laughs> wide open at that point. Right. 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 No otters though, huh? <laughs> I, you know, we haven't thought about otters, but I'm sure there's an otter style. I'll work on it. <laughs> work on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to find out what do you find out about that? Um, that would yeah, be great. That. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we're going to have a break pretty soon, but I wanted to, to transition at least, uh, for a couple minutes before that, um, well, to talk a little bit more about what you were mentioning before about what's happening actually in, in our, well, this is more of your, your partner's, um, area neuroscience, but what do we know about what's happening in our brains you know, when we're jogged by curiosity? I know it's a sort of tricky concept because there are a lot of things happening, but what do we know so far? Yeah, I mean, the science of curiosity is at a little bit of a standstill um, because there are th what we can say is that there are things we don't know <laughs> or right. things, we kn things we know are not are not the case. So for a very long time, people really thought about the brain as having different parts that were uniquely uh, responsible for different activities. So people looked for essentially a spot that is responsible for curiosity. And even in, you know, the 1800s, there was a spot that was uh, responsible for wonder, right? Which right. is deeply connected historically to curiosity. But um, what we know today is that it is not one spot. There's not a, this thing lights up every time you're curious spots. Uh, this not, that's not actually how curiosity and the brain work. One of the, we know that there are several different systems in the brain, connections between different areas of the brain that are activated in curiosity, and how and why and when and where is remain open questions. So it's a much more complicated story that we need something like network science to help us unravel. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, we're, we're going to talk more about that in, in a minute, but uh, we're going to take a short break now. Um, so, but when we come back, we'll be talking much more with Perry Zern, uh, co-author of Curious Minds. So don't go away, folks. We have a lot more to talk about. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? 
What did they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're having a great fun conversation today with Perry Zern, uh, the Provost Associate Professor of Philosophy at American University and the co-author of Curious Minds. So before the break, we were talking to Perry about what is going on in our brains about when, when we're curious about things. And, and um, they mentioned to us that um, you know uh, a lot of things are going on. There's not just one spot. Um, and I think in, in, in reading a little bit about your, uh, your work, um, you, 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 and and um, uh, your co-author Danny uh, talk about the brain being like a cartographer. So, explain a little bit more about what that, what you mean by that. Sure. So, you know, a, a cartographer is someone who builds maps, makes right. maps, and our brain does is constantly making maps, and we can understand this uh, in an everyday way. That when you walk into a room, your brain creates a map of the space. And typically that helps you avoid not running into things as you negotiate the space, right? Mm-hmm. But the brain, and this is done through the what's called the hippocampal entorhinal system. But the brain, that same spot in the brain is also always mapping ideas as if ideas themselves were rooms, that there were whole rooms of ideas, whole lands of ideas, whole continents mm-hmm. and countries of ideas. And the brain is busy con- saying, what are the connections between the ideas in my head, um, between the words that I use? So we know for our brain intimately connects red and apple, for example, sometimes green and apple. Um, but these these two things are, are closer in the brain than, let's say, um, fuchsia and pineapple, right? I mean, those two words are going to sit further apart. So the, so our brains are always mapping conceptual space as much as they're mapping physical space. And the really interesting thing for us about curiosity that we, one of the things we explore in the book is that um, that hippocampal entorhinal system does light up or seems to be engaged when we are curious, as mm. if we were journeying through right space the space of ideas and making new connections there making new relationships there yeah that's that's interesting i you know i I think about the connections and um yeah i I think there is something to the metaphor of you know when you come up with an idea right a light bulb goes off because there's there there is um that sense of aha you know um and i think um for me, at least, there's a curiosity that's tied to to the notion of creativity, you know, and the connection of sometimes ideas that may seem, you know, unrelated, but in fact, you know, your your brain, you know, makes relationships between, you know, figures out what they are. And uh, they seem to be especially, from, from my observation, 
you know, in, in the arts. Um, uh, but in things like, um, you know, uh, even comedians, you know, humor, which is I look at, uh, you know, comedians or I look at cartoonists and I look at the cartoons and I'm saying, oh, you know what, what makes this funny is that they've really connected two seemingly, uh, you know, completely unrelated ideas and, and, and made it work, made, made, made the connection. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love pulling out humor in particular. I do think that's true. There's this like aha turn where you're like, oh, you did that. I would have never seen that happen, but you did it and it works. And I see the connection. Yeah. 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 And I th- I don't know if that, you know, whether a part of the brain lights up, but it seems to me that there's some sort of energy release when that, when you figured that out. And mm. um, so I, I, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I think that there, there probably is some sort of, um, um, you know, a connection to a, a, a neurological release of energy or, or endorphins or something like, wow, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. And there's definitely scientific um, data to back that up. So that the, I mean, the hippocampal and tyrannal system is one of the brain systems that's engaged in curiosity. Another one is the re- reward circuit is what it's called, Okay, which is, which is when your brain experiences a sense of reward you know i'm excited i've learned something i'm i you know gratified i'm on this high of of having learned something new yeah now is at the break we were talking about um your colleague danny so is are they working on anything or are are you aware of um, any particular kinds of experiments or research that's being done on curiosity from a neurological point of view yeah, they've done a couple of different um, studies. One of them um, I was also a collaborator on where we took the styles of the butterfly, the hunter and the dancer and mm. said, well, I mean, these are interesting and historical and all, but are people really like this? And it turns out uh, it appears that they are. So one of the things we did was we studied Wikipedia users and you know, mm. Wikipedia is an online encyclopedia and Um, The study involved people surfing Wikipedia and us sort of tracking their moves on on the site. And you can absolutely see in in this data that some people kind of go all over the site and some people are really focused about how they do it. And some people have more creative connections between the pages that they go to. So um, that was one study that's really, really fascinating. And and we were able to replicate. We did that with just a small group of folks we collaborated with. um, It was actually led by David Lydon Staley. Um, a professor of communications at, at Penn. But um, that was a study of about 120 uh, people. And then we were able to replicate that data by using um, data from the Wiki, what's called the Wikimedia Foundation, which is the, mm. the people behind Wikipedia and, and, and use data from uh, a, a large number of countries in many different languages. And it does seem that these styles are, are trackable. So that's that's one thing, and then the other thing that um, Danny and their and their lab have been involved in is is studying artificial intelligence and its mm. um, its own practices of exploration and curiosity, and are might there be ways of training these styles in different um, agents? Wow, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that that opens a whole other area. Of- whole other thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so one of the things that. Um, I find uh, interesting, curious today. I mean, I don't know. I, I, now I use the word curious. I'm like, well, it's not the right use of the word. <laughs> but because um, um, I think, it can, you know, when people use it colloquially, it could be like, well, that's curious, meaning like that's odd, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to. Um, but I guess 
in this it sort of fits in that provokes you to think about it but but is that um what what and this is something that sort of that troubles me today about mm. um we talk about a lot of um you know what's culturally what's happening you know a lot of the, the whether it's political divides or cultural divides or cultural wars or whatever and that is that 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 it, this seems to be for me uh, an issue of people not being curious mm-hmm. you know they don't want to find out what other people are thinking they they're they they know what they think and that's what they they think and they don't want to find out about it and i think that that's a real problem in in terms of it's creating it it's exacerbating our differences um mm-hmm. um by this um I, I, I guess I can only call it a lack of curiosity or a refusal to be curious. Yeah, I think this is a big part of contemporary polarization and um, de- really demonization of other people. Um, and and this is on, I mean, you know, this can be a, a, on the very high level of wars, right? Or it can mm-hmm. be a, just on small interpersonal levels of... Um, writing people off who maybe if we had gentler, more curious conversations, we would find some common ground somewhere. That doesn't mean they have to stay in your life, right? But it does mean that we could recognize a shared humanity um, with one another. Yeah. I think that um, um, one of the issues too is that that in a lot of institutions, um, um, sometimes academic, sometimes other uh, educational or, or workplaces. Um, uh, people don't want you to be curious. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's well. I, I guess it can be a, a threat to the order of the of the institution, or you know, say, like, well, this is the way we do things. Uh, I don't want you to be curious about other ways to do things. Um, and and even um, well, you know, you have a lot of freedom in academic environments, but I'm sure that there are also issues there about, you know, pressures to publish, and then so you, they they turn you into hunters. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, the hunting style is preferred, I think, in academia for sure, and the others are often treated as not as serious among um, academics, but also among students. You know, I think it really affects what you're talking about here. Is what are the expectations? of us in various settings and how might it squash our actual creative and curious capacities. Um, I think this is a huge problem. I think it stifles learning. I think it stifles work and, and, and in real engagement and rewarding engagement in our own work. Um, and yeah, you described, you know, institutions kind of wanting us to be not curious and, and not try new, new ways of doing things. I, I, I try to uh, complexify this just a little bit by saying I think institutions want us to be curious about specific things and in specific ways. So there is a, a compulsion to be curious, uh, but there's a lot of of, of um, control around that process. Whereas, you know, if we want to be curious about something else or in a different way um, or even for a different end or for a different group of people. You know, I think there can be a lot of pushback there. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I, I understand the realities of it too. So, you know, you're, you're paying people to come up with certain solutions or goals. So, um, you know, it, it narrows the field in terms of what people want to look at. And, and um, it's tricky because sometimes, uh, 
as you well know, and whether it's philosophy or, or science, um, you come up with um, um, creative ideas, um, even breakthroughs, sometimes through a curiosity that seemed to be going nowhere. But it just, you know, like all of a sudden, I was like, well, wow, I didn't expect that. You know, there's, there's so much um, accident along with intention of, of uh, you know, of, of scientific research or academic research and you know many of the greatest discoveries right were accidents you know and um mm -hmm. so that's I, I find you know I, I do understand that um you know and, and one of the i think the pushbacks is you know i don't know if well this is a, quite a while ago when i was younger there was a um a, um a senator uh, proxmire um who was uh he gave out these golden fleece awards he called them which was you know basically um uh, you know, sort of derogatory awards to people who did what he considered like ridiculous research that was funded by the government. Mm. And uh, you could make a case for some of these uh, grants, but then a lot of them you don't really know. You know, you you do need a certain amount of freedom to follow where your curiosity takes you. And in some cases, it it may be nowhere, but you don't know what cases will and what cases won't. Sometimes. Um, so you, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's why that's part of why I think we need these multiple styles to be more appreciated. So we're describing part of what you're describing is a, is a real uh, bias toward the hunter like curiosity, right? So ask the questions that get the work done, that get the answers that we need right now, that we put into practice, um, et cetera, et cetera. But the, then there's this this more open rabbit trails sort of thing. Um, I like to talk about. Uh, I don't, you know, I grew up being told, just do it, right? The Nike slogan. Right. Just do it, um, which is, you know, you have you have something in front of you, just do it. Just get it done. Just write the paper. Just do the thing and, and move on to the next. And I, to me, that doesn't work. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's too much. It's too much pressure. And it takes, for me, it takes the curiosity out of it. So what I like, my motto is show up, show up to it. Uh -huh. Because when you show up to something, when you show up to a project, when you show up to a person, when you show up to a moment and you just show up, there's some openness to what what can happen there mm. and what you might see that you weren't looking for. Whereas mm. a just do it, you're already looking for where you need to push this thing mm -hmm. forward. I think you got a new t-shirt here, Perry. Just show up. <laughs> just show up. <laughs> <laughs> or wasn't there... Um... There's some slogan, some similar that like ninety percent of life is just showing up or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's a very good way to put it. Um, um, so, so when when we face these situations, whether in the workplace or elsewhere, um, what are some of your thoughts about how we can encourage curiosity? Because I always like to be positive on my shows. I mean, we can you know critically look at things, but you know also give people some ideas about how to make things better, whether it's in the first half of their life or the second half of their life. So. Yeah, I think it's, I think in workplaces, it's really helpful. First of all, organizationally, I think there should be more room should be created for experimental time where people can explore other ways of doing things, other ways of trying to solve a problem, other perspectives, other, you know, whatever it is. And there also needs to be a kind of downtime where you can socialize and interact with people you're working with and accidental ideas can happen. So those two things, you know, that just um, 
appointed exploratory time needs to be a part of an organizational structure and then accidental so- socializing that pr- produces accidental ideas needs to be a part of it. Hmm. But that's really top down, a top down approach. I think it's also just things that we can do as employees. I think um, when we can carve out for ourselves this time to experiment and to explore and time to interact with other people rather than just go from project to project to project to project. If we can, I think we should carve out that space ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then just thinking more about our styles of curiosity and the styles of those we're working with. Maybe some of the rubs that we might have with collaborators or with coworkers is just because their brain works differently and their curiosity looks, you know, is a different style. And maybe if you can think about this person, you say, oh, this person's a hunter. That's why. And I'm a butterfly. And that's why we're having all this tension. You know, maybe, maybe then we can kind of break through it and and think more about, okay, you're going to be really good at this part of this project and I'll be better at this part of the project. Um, I think that those are some perspectives that this work provides. Yeah, I think if so, if we could find a way to provide some structure to curiosity, um, to I think in some ways remove the threat of it as a waste of time. You know what I mean? Yes. I think that, in, yes. especially in the workplace, oh, so designated, I guess, uh, brainstorming, whatever you want to call it, where people that like, hey, this is what we're doing. We're all, you know allowing it go, you know, within this within this space, you can get this done. I think that would be very helpful. I think it's. Um, in some ways, more problematic in education, especially you know, um, uh, lower education, you know, up before college, because I think that that's where I think we're we're getting sort of stifled, right? In terms of uh, what are we producing? What are the test scores? You know, are they doing this? Are they advancing here? What are they getting? You know, and and um, mm. so I think there's a real bias against that curiosity in in um, uh, lower education. I agree. There's so much. There's so much left to do in K through 12. But one of the things has to be, you know, I think I think the kids time is just saturated with goal, like do this, then do this, then do this, then finish this, then do this homework, then do this, then go to sleep, then do it again. Um, And there's and there's just not the kind of really open space to explore for themselves what they might be interested in. And then they get into my class and I ask them, what are you curious about? And they say, I don't have anything. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So, um, uh, folks, listen, uh, we have a lot more to talk about, but we need to take another short break. But when we come back, don't go away. We'll be talking much more with Perry Zern, the co-author of Curious Minds. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, 
self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Perry Zern, the co-author of Curious Minds, about just that. What is curiosity and what, why is it important? Um, before the break, we were talking about um, um, curiosity uh, in education, especially in lower education, and just the difficulty in, in, in you know, keeping it as part of our educational um, curriculum, really. Um and that the there was uh, it, there, there's so much pressure on test scores and advancement and uh, measurements and data and um, getting then are you going to get into college you know and and that I I think we lose a lot of that and um, you know that what what I mentioned earlier in the show about my my ability to you know, when we I wrote that essay about what I wanted to be for a day and an otter you know just that kind of like. Let's just you know. Let's just think. Let's just throw out imagination. Let's let's be curious about things that we didn't think much about. And um, so, and and there's a certain kind of irony about this, right? Because when we talk about um, people in general, that we often have this, this expression, right? They they have childlike curiosity, which is that's exactly when you should be most curious about the world, and um, uh, and and carry it through, you know. Um, so I think that 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 is a problem that we're we're losing that. And I just want to talk, Perry, about just this notion of maintaining curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts about how we can institutionalize a little bit more on it? I, I I guess I guess we could do it in education. We could do what you were describing in in um, workplaces, where if we have designated times where we just, you know, I mean, I guess. The the areas where we we let people kids go is we send go out for, for the playground right go out and recess that's the, that's when they get to be curious within this confined space outside right 
So is there a playground of the mind? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or what is adult recess? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, sometimes I wonder, I mean, you know, given the title of your show, I sometimes I wonder if what we call midlife crisis is this um, sense of be, of feeling really stuck. Hmm. And there's this explosion of I need to explore, I need to experience, I need to change everything, you know, because of that sort of uh, sense of feeling, yeah, trapped in what I do and what I need to do, and I just do it over and over and over again, right? Or wh whatever track I'm on, whatever career I'm on. Or, right. Or whatever, um, and there's just this this reduction of of freedom, and then suddenly it's unsustainable. Well, it would only get to that point, you know, if 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 it wouldn't get that to that point if we could live lives that we're experimenting and that we're um, exploring all the way along and having to the time out to um, to. Yeah, play with ideas and imagine that we could be different different people, right? Or a different version mm -hmm. of ourselves, like, and open ourselves up to that kind of development or change along the way. Um, so I think I think that's one thing, kind of comporting ourselves in life and having daily, weekly, monthly, yearly sorts of practices that give us the kind of space to say, hey, you know, where am I going? Do I want to go there still? Um, what does my heart, you know, what does my heart say? What is the, where is my excitement? Where is the excitement leading? As opposed to just say, where, what should I rationally do next, right? What are, what are the scripts that tell me what to do next? You know, but say, no, we got to listen. We got to listen a little bit more internally and say, you know, where's the excitement? Where's the pleasure? Where's the interest? Where's the curiosity? Um, and can I explore that in a way that deepens my relationships with other people that are meaningful in my life rather than, you know, creating barriers or yeah. alienation. Yeah. Yeah. I think you refer to it as uh, you know, curiosity as a practice, which I think mm -hmm. is an interesting way to look at it, sort of a, a disciplined practice. Um, and I think we, you know, we, we, what we do today tends to be uh, to get out of that stuckness that you describe is uh we go on vacation, <laughs> you know. We just get away from things, um, yeah. um, and uh, or, or we, or I mean, in some cases, you know, we we go uh, uh, play uh, tennis, or you know, racquetball, yeah. or you know, um, uh, any any kind of you know sports or things like that, which which is fine, you know, which is a good release, but it's not a it's not a practice. It's um, and I think that's what we need to to make it as part of what we do. Um, mm. Yeah, right, right. So instead of instead of surviving our lives by escaping them mm -hmm. every once in a while, <laughs> can we make it more survivable in a day out day in and day out basis um, by making space for curiosity in the in the work and in the day itself, rather than only when we escape what our quote unquote life is. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I think I, I guess this is sort of a cultural shift. I think it's happening. You know, in the, in the kind of areas that I cover, um, you know, forty-five forward. I, I think you, you you hit it right when you talked about the stuckness, and it's sort of like we, we we're, we're, you know, it's it's sort of like an explosion against like I, I need of of lack of how responding to lack of curiosity, and all of a sudden we become curious about well, what are our possibilities? What have I not done? You know, yeah. Um, as opposed to a more, you know, a, a more. A, gentler but more and more useful approach that we uh we don't wait until our top blows off <laughs> you know yeah um, um and, and i think and i think part of the issue is that it has to be more culturally acceptable 
you know, mm. so, um, so if we want to make changes or are curious about stuff, I think the normal response is, well, what's wrong? And, and as opposed to, well, nothing's wrong, but there could be things that are better and they're more fulfilling. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is, um, Along my 45 forward theme, I think that this is something that's important. And I think, you know, that if we think of curiosity as sort of a, an essential lifetime tool or trait or, mm. you know, um, whatever you want to call it, skill, it's, 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 I think of it as an essential tool to our um, emotional and mental and physical health. I think that's true. I do. I think that's true. I th and, you know, one of my good friends, uh, her name is Lynn Borton, and she's a podcast host of a, of a show called Choose to be Curious. Mm. But she is the, the, the show itself is fantastic. I love it. But um, I, I think of her because I think she has she of the, of the many people I know who are invested in curiosity, she really practices it in a daily way. Um, and you can see it in how centered she is about what she's doing in her life right now and where she's going. There's just a, a real, you know, she's thought about it. She's considered other things. She's tried other things, right? And she's always open to changing again and shifting again and responding again. Um, and, yeah, she's just attuned. This curiosity is a kind of attunement, I think, to mm. the things around us and to the things within us. And if we can, if we can cultivate that more, I think we will be more centered people. We will, we will know ourselves better. We will again be able to show up to the people that we care about better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you know people talk about you know uh, as we get older how important having a sense of purpose is, mm. um, and I think that's true. Uh, I think a lot of times, though, uh, discovering that purpose is a matter of curiosity. <laughs> You're not sure what that purpose is, you know. So people say, uh, "When you do, you have a reason to get up every day." It's like, uh, do you have a reason to, to get up and be curious about what could happen that day? You know, you don't know what's going to happen, um, other than you hope nothing bad happens. But, but um, um, you know, I think that that it, it does contribute. You know, to our longevity, to being happier in uh, in our later years, because um, uh, I think that's you know, because because that's sort of it 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 leads to our constant search for meaning, you know, and and um, but it's it's not it's often not just in front of us. You have to look for it. You have to be curious about it. Like and and you know, take some risks and take some chances and try things. Um, um, but I'd like it to, to, just to say that this is this is a quintessential quality of aging well, maintaining curiosity. That makes so much sense. And you say, yeah, to search search for the purpose curiously, instead of what I think is easier and yet makes life a lot harder, which is just to to let other people give us our purpose. <laughs> you know, right? I think that's that's the the tendency or the the trap, right? Is to just be handed the purpose, whether it's by the people around us or our culture, you know, do it this way, do it that way, do it that way, care about this, do that, think this, as opposed to this curious practice of finding your purpose in yeah. your life and where you're going. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that that's, it is a real problem in, in that, to to your point, that 
you know, as, as we get older, that's what happens a lot of times. People tell you, well, this is where you should go. You should go to assisted living, or you should do this, or don't do this, or go visit your grandchildren, or, you know, as opposed to this continued, you know, fulfilling of your curiosity bubble. What do I really want to do with this part of my life, you know? Mm. It's so hard. It's so important, but I think it's so hard. We can get so swept up, right, in these narratives we've we've kind of been born into somehow. Uh, it's hard to pause. Yeah, it is. But I think it's important to do so, and I think more people are doing it. It's just, I think it is, uh, as we live longer, then we have more time to think about things. We're not just thinking, okay, we retire, and then we don't have much time. You might have 20 more years. So I think that it, it does uh, it, it spur curiosity, like, okay, maybe I better think about some things. Um, and, and there's, uh, uh, you know, on a lot of my shows, uh, you can sort of see that people have made major changes in, you know, in their fifties uh, and sixties and seventies, mm. you know, and career changes. You know, I had a one woman who um, wanted to be, a, you know, a, a novelist, and she was, you know, nine, and at the age of sixty-nine, she she finally did it. She but she had had a very successful life, um, but also was like, well. It was this this passion, but I think this driving curiosity. Like, I want to know what that's like, and uh, and since that first novel, she's published um, six more. You know, so yeah, yeah. I think it it can be a, a really uh, fulfilling thing. So um, um, so listen, um, Perry. Before we go, I just want to make sure if, for our curious listeners, um, how do they uh, get in touch with you? Connect with you. Um, if they want to do that and find or find out and find out more about your work, um, Donnie's work, um, and curiosity in general. Yeah, folks can uh, feel free to check out Curious Minds, which can be purpose- purchased on Amazon or Barnes Noble or wherever you get your books. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as more work about us, you can go to www.perryzern.com for more okay. about me. Okay. Or www.dannybassett.com for uh, more of Danny's work in neuroscience. Great. Okay. And you're on, I know you're, you're on social media too. So people, I guess, can connect there. Or Yeah. Your... Find me any place. And if you have a fourth or more style of curiosity, please, y'all, be in oh, touch. Nice. I'd be excited to hear. That'd be great. That'd be great. Okay. Uh, well, folks, um, uh, first, uh, Perry, uh, Dan, yes, yeah. Danny Perry. <laughs> Perry, thanks for a terrific show. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, yeah. with that very provocative conversation. Uh, and once again, folks, uh, tell your friends if they missed my conversation with them today, they can uh, listen to it uh, as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Uh, just search for my show, 45 Forward. I can also find it on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or go to my website, roboresources.com, and just click on the 45 Forward tab. Uh, if you want to reach me, just email me at ron.roel at gmail.com. Meanwhile, be sure to join me next Monday at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be talking with Stephen Post, an internationally renowned researcher who offers a unique blend of work in compassionate care, ethics, and behavioral medicine. So until then, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week. 